you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 through 16 this morning. Now I'm going to give a little bit of a caveat to this message because there's a lot of things in here that, one, they're first century context, and there's also a lot of things in here that we still can use, but could be misunderstood if we're not careful. So I'm going to try to be careful, but I'm going to say some things, and sometimes I may not say them clear enough. And I would ask that if you have any questions... Don't ever hesitate to come talk to me about anything that you hear me say from this pulpit. I am not perfect at this. I'm just a vessel. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 through 16, and we're going to talk about the church ministry expectations managed. We've got to manage the expectations of what church ministry is all about. So let me, uh, let me read the passage, and then we'll kind of dissect it a little bit. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. Going from house to house, they are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies, saying things that shouldn't, they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse them. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this instruction. We know that um, it's got some of what was going on in Ephesus right that moment, but it's also got principles we can apply. Help our hearts to be receptive and accepting of your word and your truth. Help us to not allow the adversary to confuse us, distract us, or give us divisive ideas over this. Because it's all bathed in the grace that comes from you through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Have you ever heard anybody say to you, if you were a Christian, you would help this person or help that person or do this or do that? Have you ever heard anybody say that? They're trying to guilt you into doing something that they think is Christian, but they're not a Christian. I kind of wonder how they know. We, we as believers in Christ, we have a, a calling to help, but we need to know the limits of that because we can't do everything. We've often said that. We don't have the resources always to do everything, but we need to know ex expectations that God has to reach out to people in, in ministry. And that's what I think Paul is talking about here. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to aid him because evidently there were some things going on at the church at Ephesus and the functions and leading of the church there was getting a little clouded and confused. And the widow ministry evidently had become huge, big. The widows were outnumbering the church probably in some sense. And, uh, and these are most of the ones he's talking about here are members of the church. And it had become pre pretty big. 
See, in the first century, widows didn't have very many options. You know, there was not very many options for a, a woman without a husband to make money uh, without doing something really immoral. And so um, they were trying to help as many widows as they could. And so we can see the examples with widows that ministry needs boundaries. And that's what Paul, I think, is getting across to us by using widows in the church at Ephesus as kind of an example. So Paul tells Timothy in this passage to manage the expectations of a church's ministry. And, he, and, he, and we can do the same thing. We can manage any ministry area of our church life with these expectations that God gives us here. And how do we manage those expectations? Well, God directs us how to manage ministry with three commands in this passage. Three, not simple commands. <laughs> I'm not going to say they're simple. Three simple instructions and commands to do. First of all, he says, include servants of Jesus. Verses 9 through 10, look at those again with me. Verses 9 through 10. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, devoted herself to good work. We're going to remind you of something Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. He was... This was right after the rich young ruler had come and said he, he, couldn't, fall, he couldn't sell everything he had, and he left. So Peter asked a question. I love Peter because he gets right to the point. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says this to him. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now we covered this when we were going through Mark and Jesus isn't talking about you being instantly wealthy because you serve Jesus Christ. He's talking about the church. The church and all of its resources can come to bear on your needs. And that's what he's talking about here. And Jesus promised those who serve and surrender their earthly treasures and their earthly worries to him, they will receive more in the church as followers of Christ. I don't believe there's any context in scripture where you are not part of a church body as a Christian. I, don't, I believe that every Christian in, in, in the world should be connected somehow to some form of a church. Now, it may not have a building like this. It may not even have a, a, a sign on the door. And in some places, that would be very dangerous. But Jesus is saying that we need to be connected and we have those resources. And, he's t and Paul's getting this instruction from God here that we help those who have committed their life to service. I mean, Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about them. So you see, Paul is qualifying the widows who will receive help here from Timothy. He's saying this is a, a criteria to use. And he's also saying that these are also the widows that you want helping in the church because we need help. We always need help. Here's the qualifications. First of all, they need to be 60 years old. Why that number? I'm turning 60 in December. I was like, that's young. At least I feel that way right now. But at, back then, it was close to life expectancy for anybody. I mean, it, things were harder back then. So it's close to life expectancy, but also she's a little more mature, a little more self-control, a little more comfortable in the life that she is in. 
She needs to be a one-man woman. What does that mean? Marriage fidelity intact. No matter how many times she's been married, she needs to have the fidelity of marriage intact. And she needs to have loved her husband only. She needs to have a good reputation. Her deeds testify to her heart for people to aid those in need. She's got to have a good reputation of, of being one that reaches out and helps. Raising children. She's been a good mother. She's been solid in her care and nurturing of children. That's kind of what the Greek word means there. She probably has even in this century aided orphans. Orphan, orphans was a big problem in the first century, especially in some of the Roman towns and, and Roman colonies. So she's probably taken in orphans is what Paul's referring to here, not just raised her own biological children. She's been hospitable, opened her home, welcomed people that needed a place to stay because back then there weren't very nice, many nice hotels, okay? The inns back then, the places where people stay were kind of always dirty and dangerous. So she opened her home to people. She was hospitable. She gave shelter. She gave clothing sometimes. She protected them, and she would receive just about anybody into her home. She's washed the feet of the saints. Now, we don't wash feet anymore because we have shoes <laughs> that cover all of our feet. But this is a first century indication of someone who was very humble and willing to serve no matter what. I equate it today to cleaning toilets. Nobody likes to clean toilets, but it's something that needs to be done. So she has always been humble, like Jesus did in John chapter 13, washing the disciples' feet. She's helped the afflicted, those people who've had illnesses, sicknesses, diseases, the underprivileged, the unfortunate. She's reached out to them and helped them. And she has a complete devotion to good works, to good deeds. She never refused to help when she went in where she could. She stepped up, she stepped out. She wanted to be part of the solution. Now, I want you to understand all those qualifications and criteria. There's one key, key trait through them all. She did not expect to be helped by anybody else. She wasn't doing it to earn help. She was doing it because her Lord Jesus Christ called her to do it. And she knew it was the right thing to do. We need to remember that, that it's, a, it's an unassuming, freely given aid. We don't need to expect something for our good deeds. Christ has saved your soul. That's enough. And so Paul is saying, widows like these, God is saying basically through Paul, that the church should support them, assist them, and allow them to serve in the church. That's what he's in, in the ministry of the church. And that's what he's, God's given the instructions. And part of the reward of, of the life of service for Jesus comes from the church actually serving you as someone who is in need. And we kind of need to remember that. Sometimes we get a little proud of ourselves and a little too self-sufficient. Sometimes we need help. When Timothy needed to manage the widow ministry in Ephesus, God said, this is the criterion to use to decide who you're going to help and who you're not going to help. Because all of these widows that he was trying to help were somehow connected to the church. Timothy could enlist the widows who exemplified Christ to serve and to aid their genuine need. Now, some people wonder about the age limit. Like I said, I think it's near life expectancy, but it also kind of ensured some self-control, some life under their belt in a sense. They had lived life. Um, they weren't going to wander away from Christ. They had been committed since they met Christ. But the age limit is not the only limit there, the only criteria. 
I want you to hear me in this. God does not reject widows who remarry even after 60, okay? So don't go out of here saying, well, pastor said I can't get married after I'm 60. That is not what I said. They were just not on the list of support. Why? Because they're married. So they're no longer a widow. This is just simple math. God set this criteria to manage the expectations of the, of the ministry to widows in this church. And so Jesus would have his church minister to those who are ministering to the kingdom. It's a, it's a reciprocation in a sense. But like I said, the widows weren't expecting any help. You know, James talks a little bit about this in his letter to the church. In James chapter 2, he says, uh, he says something we're all familiar with. We've heard this passage before. But in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister in Christ, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. Our, our actions, our faith needs to bear out actions. And that's one of the things that Paul is getting across to Timothy here. God tells the church to aid the fellow believer who serves him faithfully. Now, many church ministries, they seek to help. Sometimes we seek to help the lost people, the ones that don't believe in Jesus, find Jesus by helping them benevolently, helping them with their needs and their, their, their material needs. We reach out to those that don't, don't believe. And sometimes we do it hoping they'll ask us a question about Jesus because we're a church. It doesn't really work that often. It doesn't. I mean, it really doesn't. Um, some of you may be here because we've helped you. But I don't think that's why you're here. I think you got connected to us. You spent some time with us. You made a relationship with us. And the relationship's what's drawing people back, not the fact that we gave you a tank of gas or a loaf of bread. It's more about relationships. But in reality, most of the time, we should aid the church family and believers first. That's really kind of the way we should probably use our resources. Not only, I'm not saying we don't help people that aren't part of the church, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But we have to prioritize. Now, the beautiful thing in this community is we have a ministerial alliance who's come together, and we're providing for all people as often as we can with our resources as, as combined churches to help people, which frees me up to use our funds, benevolent funds here, for our church members. And we have people in need. So it's been a, it's been a, a wonderful arrangement. But I think as believers in Christ, when we start managing people's expectations, we need to understand and stress that the believers in our church need to be helped first. Not only, but first. Because there's plenty of agencies out there to help people with their basic needs. And like I said, we participate in those too. Yet the humble widows and the orphans, the people that God's got his eyes on all the time, the widows and the orphans in our church family should receive our assistance first. And when these humble and obedient believers ask for help, we should give them what they need as best we can. I mean, I think that's what God's commanding here. So you may wonder, well, why should we help our church family first? Well, I'm going to tell you, it makes the body stronger. 
It makes the, the faith of our body stronger. When we take care of our own, it fortifies. It helps our light be brighter, actually, because we've helped our own. There's a testimony in that. If we help only unbelievers, how can we fulfill the commands that are in Scripture? In James, I just read it. In John, 1 John, there's another one about helping one another in the church. So we need to fulfill those commands. And God's word tells us to help brothers and sisters in distress, to show love to each other. And when we show love to each other, that just makes our light brighter in the community. Now sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, sometimes we expect believers that are in need to not be in need. We expect us to have enough faith that if I have enough faith, I shouldn't have to ask for help. And that's just a, a bad idea. Um, Sometimes we think they should have enough faith. We try to convince ourselves that if only they would have more faith, they wouldn't have these material needs. They would get out and work and do a job and blah, 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 blah. We, we, we fill in all kinds of blanks, and we try to solve everybody's problem by rationalizing it away. But you know what? That's a prosperity gospel mindset there. When we think that we've got to have enough faith that we don't ever have a need that we don't need to ask our church for, we're here to help each other. And I've seen it. I've seen it in this body. It's a wonderful thing. But we don't need to be ashamed and we don't need to be shaming anybody for asking for help because we all could be there, there, but for the grace of God go I. Um, so now if a church member is not following God's commands and they're asking for help, we're going to have a conversation, which is what we should do, about staying on the straight and narrow, getting back on the straight and narrow. Because we are responsible to discipline each other in accordance with Scripture. I mean, we're called to do that too. But the church must keep each other on the correct path, behaving like that list of stuff that the, he just listed out for these widows. It helps the body be more healthy, healthier. I'm not an English major, so sometimes I mess them up. God says, help those who are helping the kingdom by their actions. We should help those who are helping the kingdom. It helps the body... And it makes us healthy, and it makes us more vibrant and appealing to the world. Matter of fact, there's an early church father back in the first or second century, I think it was the second or third century actually, and he said something like, you know who the Christians are because of the love they have for each other. May that be our testimony. So we need to discern how and who to help, and that's what Paul has given Timothy here at the first part including those who serve King Jesus. That's who we're, we're including. But he also says, refuse help to those who are living outside the will of King Jesus. Refuse distractors from Jesus, verses 11 through 13. These are kind of hard to hear, but this is the truth. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle going from house to house, they're not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Ouch. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of some of that. Uh, too much free time on our hands. But See, God's drawing a very distinct line here between those who are, are, are staying on the straight and narrow and those who are not, those who are doing what's right and those who are not. It's a very distinct line. And, and Jesus told us that. He told us don't... don't give away the good things to those who are going to just disregard them. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. They will abuse your help. 
They will abuse the opportunity. Paul's using this command that Jesus gave here, I think, to put in place kind of a buffer, a filter. You know, that's one of the 60-year age limit. I think it's a chance for, for, for a, a young widow to figure out what she's going to do with her life. I think that's a good thing. Widows under 60 must wait to be put on the list, even if they're doing the right things. They must wait to be put on that list. They need to be patient. They need to be persistent in doing good. Because positions and lists don't matter. That's not important. What's important is the selfless service that God has called them to. And Paul explains why here, and it must have happened, okay? This is a very specific example, but it must have happened. She wants the intimacy and the security of marriage again. She wants to remarry, and it must have happened. And so he says if if she, the widow, has promised to remain celibate, and promise to serve the church, but then she pursues marriage, she's broken faith with that promise. She's broken an oath. And they took oaths very seriously back then. We don't, we don't seem to be holding too many people to oaths anymore, but this desire for marriage draws them away from Christ because they f- probably feel like they can't do what they want to do, and so they, they won't go on and do it. They become distractions in the church because they promised one thing and they're doing another instead of doing what they had committed themselves to. So while they're waiting on a husband and not serving the kingdom, they become idle and lazy. I'm telling you, Paul must be thinking of somebody specifically here because this is such a specific example, but it happens. Waiting on a husband, waiting to see if someone will marry them, They're not serving the kingdom. They're not doing what they know they should be doing, regardless of whether they're on a list or not. They become idle and lazy. They don't have anything positive in their life or valuable in their life. They're not contributing to society or to the church. They begin interacting with other idle people, more than likely people in the church, but more than likely people outside the church, gossips, slanderers, busybodies. They begin to imitate that environment, and it's real easy. Our sinful nature is so prone to, what's around, prone to what's around us to become like that. They roam from place to place looking to, to scoop up one more morsel of gossip. They speculate or they exaggerate what they've heard to make their stories sound better. We men do that too, especially with fish stories. But it's not a good thing. It's a vicious cycle of lies. We all should not do these things. We should refrain from them. See, if a widow truly wants to serve the Lord, she will do it without being on a list. She will do it without having any kind of official title. See, the list doesn't prohibit her from doing the things that Paul mentioned in the first verses. The list ensures a genuine need, which is the whole point of this passage, starting at verse 3 of chapter 5. Who's the person that has the genuine need that will not abuse the resources of the church and take advantage of it and put pearls before swine, as Jesus said. God says refuse to help those who are straying and breaking oaths and harming the church by their mischievous deeds. He he encourages us to do that. And God sets this standard to protect the church. Paul's even told this church already in Ephesians 4.27, he says, give no opportunity for the devil. So this is just another buffer, another line in the sand, if you will, to help that church not give opportunity for the devil. See, people tell, people tell me all the time when I help them, they don't have to tell me this, but they do. I'll, I'm going to come to your church. What time do you meet? I have them one of, hand them one of our welcome cards and say, 930, 
You know, we have some, a Bible study at 1045. You're welcome anytime. I have never seen anybody come, ever. Now, I've only been doing this for five and a half years, so I don't have a long list of experience. But we have helped people who've shown up here to find some kind of connection. They found a connection, and we've helped them. That's a different thing, but I just see it all the time. They want our help, but they don't want our Savior. And then sometimes they come back to what I said earlier. They condemn us for not being Christian because you won't help them. I'll take that. See, Paul is talking about widows who are, who are church members here. This, that's the example, really, in the context. These are church members, but they're not behaving like Christ followers. So he's telling Timothy, you just need to cut them loose in a sense. Basically, not let, give them a, a reason to abuse your help and your resources. Yeah, we have the same issue today. Church members will join a church, say they want to be part of the church. They're really committed to it, and then they'll slowly fade away, and you never hear from them again. They won't answer your phones or your calls or your text. So this is why we use a membership class, and I'm going to point to that a little bit here as an example. We ask for their testimonies. We ask people to sign a church covenant. We do our best to help make sure we're joining people with this congregation that are truly following Jesus, that really want to serve him in a humble, selfless way. And we're doing our best to do that. Am I, is it 100% accurate? No. No. It doesn't happen all the time. It's not an offense if you don't want to join us, but you're welcome to come and, and, and worship with us and spend time with us. We want you here. You're always welcome. It doesn't offend us that you don't want to join us. But we're going to make sure that people who join us are following Christ. And I think Timothy was being encouraged to make sure these widows who are wanting help, are following Christ. I mean, we're just trying to give people ample time and opportunity and let the Holy Spirit make sure that this is where they want to be. And as I said before, it's not a sin for widows to remarry, okay? <laughs> let me make that perfectly clear. It is not a sin for that to happen. And no one has done this that I've seen. So in terms of the widow topic, it's okay. We want faithful church members here who will serve Jesus, honor his sacrifice, and bring his gospel to the world, to lost. And we offer that opportunity for every believer, all of you. Anybody that wants to be part of us, we're welcome, we want to welcome you in here. We want to afford people a chance to be sure, though, which is why we do the class, why we, we talk to them, we have some testimony, those kind of things. We want to make sure people are avoiding a hasty oath. My grandmother used to say, haste makes waste. And sometimes it's very true when you're quick to join something and then don't keep your end of the, the bargain, so to speak. So managing the church ministry means seeking the faithful, Paul talks about, but also screening and filtering out the distractors. Those widows were still welcome to come to worship, okay? Paul wasn't telling them they couldn't come to worship at the church. He was telling them they can't be serving the church and they can't be on the support list. So just understand that. And now he reminds us all of God's perfect design when he gets to verses 14 through 16. Let me read this to you. As a note, whenever you see something very difficult to understand in Scripture, sometimes it's good to think back to how did God intend for this to be? When Jesus was asked the question about divorce, where did he go? Genesis 1, which we're going to go to in a minute. Listen to these verses again. Therefore, 
I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. So you read that and you're going, okay, so what is Paul saying? Well, he's, he's going back to God's original plan. So if you have your, your Bible, turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Go to the front cover and take a right. You'll get there real quick. You'll get there real quick. Unless you've got a lot of stuff in the front of your Bible like I do. Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. The account of the creation of human beings. It's a good place to go. Listen to what God says. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Indeed. <laughs> Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So we go back to the original design here, because I know in our culture, some people don't like being told what to do, <laughs> especially if it doesn't agree with their philosophy of life. But God set in place the roles and responsibilities and intentions for men and women at the very beginning. And he hasn't reneged on that, okay? Sin has corrupted that, but he has not reneged on that. He's not said, okay, because of this, y'all can go. And, and he definitely allows a lot of things because of sin, and he blesses a lot of things because of, of, of the path that people have taken. But God takes us back to his plan right here. Since younger widows could bring trouble to the church, he puts in place that God wants them to seek marriage, to bear and raise children, to make a home for the family. This should be a natural desire from God. Um, be busy doing what God designed them to do. I know that sounds kind of sexist, <laughs> sometimes uh, chauvinistic, but I'm just saying be busy doing what God designed them to do. That's what he wants, to avoid the enemy from slandering the church. He insists that widows... Younger than 60, consider remarriage. Have children if able. Make a home. Yes, I know when childbearing years are over, pretty much. But like I said earlier, foster care is out there. Adoption is out there. Orphans are out there. We adopted two young ladies when we were in our 40s. Spiritually, they were already adults, 18 years. But we made them part of our family because we knew that they would not have the spiritual support that we could give them. There's adoption available even for people between 40 and 60 and even people over 60. I know 
Kids take a lot of energy, man. But my grandchildren just left, so I know. He wants them to follow all other guidance about marriage, too. Don't think this is just go out and find the nearest husband, okay? You know, this is not mail-order bride or mail-order groom. It's like, do what Scripture says. Don't take any shortcuts with marriage, but do it in the right order. Marriage, children. That's, that's the way God set it out from the very beginning. God seeks to protect the reputation of the church and the ministry of the Holy Spirit by these actions. Paul already has noted that up in chapter 4, verse 1, that some have departed from the faith. Some have left the faith because they were chasing other ideas, a lot of other ideas. God wants faithful followers in his church. And so we need to take care of our family. If you have widows, care for them. If you are a young widow, seek a family. That's what Paul is saying to them right here. God calls us to obey this, which will aid the church in helping widows truly in need. Verse 3 of chapter 5. See, Paul brings it back around to that very discussion he started with. Support widows who are genuinely in need. God's original designs for men, women, and family guides us in managing our expectations in the church. And trust me, the family unit is under severe attack by the adversary. You know, even when, God, even when God did his reset on the planet, that's what I call the flood, he reset. He basically destroyed everything but one family. When he got done with that and he brought Noah and his family out of the ark, he said, it says in Genesis 9-1, if you want to know, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He didn't change his mind. And this is way after the fall. This is because, he destroyed the earth because of sin, but he said, nope, I still want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I still want the family to be the basic unit of life in the world. You know, sometimes the lost people out there, and even some of us may refuse God's designs for families, our, our, his plans for the genders. And then sometimes we blame God for our failures when we don't follow those plans. <laughs> You know, if someone plays Beethoven badly, do you blame Beethoven? Well, we blame God when things don't go our way, and it's probably because of sin in our life that we went off the deep end. Or it may be just a trial, but we don't need to blame God, just like you wouldn't blame Beethoven when someone plays him poorly. Follow God's way. Now, if you're offended or agitated by my saying, do what God created you to do to women and men, I'm saying it to both of us anyway, I really can't apologize for what God's word says, okay? And I won't. But it's kind of ironic. Whenever we stray from God's perfect design, our life kind of goes to shambles and we get frustrated. I mean, Adam and Eve had the same thing. They sinned, got kicked out of the garden, so they lost their home. They lost paradise. Wow. And then their son killed their other son. I mean, tragedy strikes when sin is in our lives and not managed. God blessed women, God blessed women with the wonderful gift of childbearing. We need to embrace this. They get the privilege and burden, ladies, I know, burden, of birthing and nurturing children. It, and it is a high calling. You go back to Proverbs 31, that passage on what God, a godly woman looks like is a great passage. I know it sets some high bars, okay? I know it sets some very high bars, but see, God gave you this gift before the fall, before sin corrupted the world. 
And he intends for us to continue to employ it. He wants us to stick to our original roles. Marriage, children, and homes are God's creation. They're set on earth to grow humanity and to build the kingdom of God as well. When women and widows or otherwise decide to pursue the noble task of family life with a believing husband, they have pleased God and they have increased their godliness in their lives. I don't want you to hear rejection here, okay? This is not a rejection of anybody who's not done it right because there's a lot of people out there that haven't done it right. I want you to see forgiveness because there's always redemptiveness in God's word. There's always a second chance. The same for men too, by the way. You guys aren't getting off the hook this morning, okay? Men must pursue wives in a godly way to make families and homes for the glory of God. We need to lead, love, serve, and protect our families. That's where Adam blew it in the garden. He didn't protect Eve. He let her have the conversation with the serpent. He should have gotten in the way, thrown the serpent out. There's no more noble or honorable task than building a spiritually sound family. None in the world. God will always bless your efforts if you're doing it according to his word. Because otherwise, we've got too much free time on our hands and we just wander off into doing crazy things. Like my grandmother also used to say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. God's given us positive things to do with our life. Not chase the, the rainbow or the, the shiny objects that the world offers us, but to pursue godly pursuits. Therefore, seek to follow God's original plan of life, to grow, nurture, and finish strong in a family, with a family. God's calling us to that. I know there are exceptions, and you can come talk to me about those exceptions if you want. There are things that have happened. I got that. I don't, I don't downplay that or ignore that. But it doesn't throw away the original design. We don't blame Beethoven. We shouldn't blame God. So in summary, basically, God commands us to include the obedient in our help, to refuse those who will not follow Christ, and then just to cling to the good design that God has set out there. And when Christ saves our souls, he gives us a new conscience, okay? He calls us to live differently, more selflessly, not selfishly, selflessly. Our total focus should be on honoring the Lord, glorifying our God, and, and spreading the gospel to those across the world that need it, because that's who needs it the most, See, Jesus Christ offers a full makeover of your life, starting with your soul. If you'll trust him right now, he will give you a new makeover. He'll give you another opportunity. Jesus loves trading regrets for do-overs. He loves doing that. He loves giving you another opportunity. That's what forgiveness is, a do-over. And he loves trading your regrets for those. So let's pray right now in our own hearts that we can accept the challenges of this life and the design that God has set. Let's, let's join together with the Spirit in helping that come to pass. We'll have a time of quiet prayer, and I'll close us out after a minute or so. Let's pray.